Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Thanks to Think. From digital signage to audiovisual solutions, we've thought of everything. Visit thinkpm.ie. This is News Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on Newstalk. Coming up this week, we'll get a progress update on the National Broadband Plan from David McCourt. Amy Connolly will talk about building her brand sculpted. Plus, Kira O'Brien will have a full rundown on Windows 11. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. And we're going to start this week with David McCourt, the man in charge of National Broadband Ireland. As I'm sure you know, by now, they won the tender for the National Broadband Plan. Work is underway. Uh, premises around the country are being fitted up and being prepared for connection. However, like most things across 2020 and 2021, the National Broadband Plan was impacted by the pandemic. I spoke to David McCourt earlier this week and started by asking him to give us an update as things stand in June 2021. Yeah, I'd be glad to, and Jess, it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you. So when we first signed the contract, uh, the plan was for 108,000 premises to be available for connection by the end of January 2022, so the end of next January, right? So in, our, uh, uh, in the process of rolling this out, and I think we spoke in January 1st of 2021 when we hooked up our, our first customer, but we've been... Uh, 18 months into this. And of the 18 months, in 15 of those months, we've been in COVID. So let's put that in a little bit of a little bit of context. So what does in COVID mean? So our, our, first, uh, our first contractor that we had signed up and spent a huge amount of time training his people was from the UK. And when COVID hit, he had to pull back and, and retreat back to the UK because he couldn't get his men and women into the country. So we lost that. We lost that contractor, our, our primary contractor, and since then we've we've navigated it through COVID, and we now have twelve hundred employees or or contract workers and employees. But you got to remember that we first had to build a a knock, which we did <clears throat> in City West. We then had to build a test lab to make sure all this equipment works, right, Jess? Mm-hmm. You can't just you, you know, in our contract, the government said you have to build a, a test lab and a knock so we can make sure that, that this thing's going to work. You can't just start stringing cables from pole to pole and expect it to work. But, well, uh, COVID happened that we lost that f- first contractor. Obviously, uh, it was difficult hiring people. Obviously, you know, some real life examples. You, you know, we used to have two men or women in a van to do survey work. Uh, and we bought one of the first POs I signed when we signed the contract was to buy hundreds of vans to get people out in the road in, in all the counties. And when COVID happened, you couldn't put two people in a van. So we had to double our order of vans. Well, when we went to order them, you couldn't get them because their supply chain was messed up. You got to remember in, in our supply chain, Jess, there aren't, there are big, tall things like poles and there's long things like cable in these shiny silver boxes like electronics that hang from the from the cable but there's also hundreds and even thousands of sub components and sub sub components and sub 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 components and all of the supply chain around the world was messed up but despite that 
We have uh, 250,000 uh, homes, a quarter of a million surveyed. We have 180,000 designed across every county. We have 92,000 under construction, and we have 20,000 um, um, uh, homes ready to order or, or, or pre-order, available for order or pre-order. So in the context of the real life COVID, I think, you, you know, the men and women, um, you know, led by Peter Hendrick and, and TJ Malone have done a phenomenal job, just, just a phenomenal job. So that's where we are now. Mm-hmm. That's where we are now, Jess. And, you know, I, I remember when this contract was being signed, there was a lot of talk of building in that rainy day fund into the cost of the plan should something go awry. And I think this was, you know, an important thing to build in, particularly on the back of, you know, we've had Storm Ophelia, some really bad storms over the years that impacted the deal between the government and air for those 300,000 homes that were taken out of the MBP. But has COVID pushed the national broadband plan into dipping into that kitty fund now to try and make some make up some of the time get get extra resources anything like that or are we still on track from a budget point of view no we we will still build this project ahead of schedule and under budget uh, despite covid and and you mentioned air so it's it's worth me saying look air has been uh, Air was it was in some regards is, is a competitor, but I will say they have been real ladies and gentlemen. They have been very accommodating. They're looking out after uh, the people of, of Royal Island in regard to this project. I don't know anything else about the rest of their business, but in regard to this project, they are being very accom- accommodating. Vodafone, the same. Vodafone has been very uh, uh, easy to work with on the broadband connection points. Air has been very easy to work with on unplugging ducts in installing new poles. The local authority has been have been great. The department, both of rural affairs under Minister Humphreys, as well as the, um, the Department of Communications under uh, Minister Ryan and, and, the, and, the depa- um, and the department itself have been very, very accommodating. Everyone's working hard to try to make this project come in ahead of schedule on the budget, which I firmly believe it will, Jess. How are we going to make up the time uh, that we've lost? And, you know, it's not just uh, broadband. You know, in, in the, we were talking about gaming on Tech Talk last week and we still can't get enough PS5s because there's ch- chip shortages as a result of COVID and loads of other things. So I completely understand and empathise on, on that point of trying to get stuff. Uh, it's very difficult at the moment. So how do you envisage your team making that time up and getting those resources to ensure that they do come in under budget and ahead of schedule? Okay, that's a good question. So as I said, we have 100,000 or 92,000 uh, homes under construction right now. So we'll this year deliver 50 or 60,000 against that original, you know, that original plan of 108. So how do we make up that? Let, let's just, to, to make the math easy, let's just call it 60,000. So how do, you, how do you make that up? So by the fall, in a couple months, we'll be at the run rate, the construction run rate that we hope to be at pre-COVID. And then over those next 24 months, they'll make up, they'll throw 30,000 extra in to each of the next two years to make up for that COVID lost uh, 60,000 at the beginning. And then from there, we'll be at a run rate that's ahead of what we originally planned, which will allow us to accelerate this plan. Now, accelerating the plan, of course, 
isn't just our decision. It has to do with not only what NBI wants to do and can do, it's what AIR wants to do and can do. It's what the supply chain wants to do and can do. It's what the department wants to do and can do. And it's what the safety officers, both at NBI and the, and the government safety officers allow us to do. But assuming that COVID doesn't have this new variant, doesn't you know, wreak havoc on us, um, the acceleration that we'll see from the fall on will allow us to make up the first six months uh, that we lost because of COVID. And then we'll be at a run rate that's ahead of what we expect it to be at. So we'll be, we'll be able to make it up. So we'll end this year um, with about 140,000 homes under construction to 92,000 now. And it will just accelerate, it'll accelerate from there. I know uh, a lot of my friends around the country visit the National Broadband Ireland website more than any other website in the history of the world because they're trying to figure out when you are coming to their town, when they will be uh, ready for connection. Have you seen uh, that growth in demand of requests and levels of urgency, I suppose, from different parts of the country as we've progressed through the pandemic? Yes, for sure. There was last I looked, there was there was about forty two thousand people that have signed up for updates on our website. So there is a real um, desire for people to understand um, when it's going to come. You, you know, I'm in. I'm talking to you from from rural Ireland. I'm in in, in Clare. Uh, I'm not in the intervention area, unfortunately, but. You know, I put my postcode in and, and tried to figure it out, but I'm, I'm not in the intervention area. Uh, but everybody wants, you know, high-speed broadband. It's it's just, it, it changes how you live your life. It changes, you, you, you know, uh, healthcare, education, uh, how you shop, how you do your, your schoolwork, how you do your business work, how you're able to be more efficient, how mom and dads are able to do their job and deliver their work product and spend time with their kids or their parents or their neighbors or their friends. So it's, a, it's the national broadband is, you know, I like to think of it as the foundation, but the doors and the walls, the roof, the rest of the house is all the things you can do with that fiber, all the ways it will change the way we work, the way we play, the way we interact with one another, the way we roll out better healthcare, the way we roll out better education, the way we roll out better services. There is 44 retail service providers that have already been through our lab and, and approved. So that means there's 44 people that are now gonna wanna sell services to homes. And when that happens, you get more competition. And when that happens, you get lower prices and higher quality of service. That's just the way the world works. The more people that are selling similar products, the better those products get and the lower the price. So I think we'll see some really innovative, you'll see some young men and women in Ireland come up with really innovative products that'll transform rural Ireland. So rural Ireland does, does not have to go through what it has gone through. You know, I've owned this house that I'm sitting in here now just for a quarter of a century. And I've seen my little village here be decimated by the fact that everybody gets up in the morning and gets in their car and drives to, to Cork or Limerick or, or Ennis or, or Dublin, uh, but they don't work locally. So I see the butcher sh shut down and I see the, 
the the clothing store shut down and I see the beauty salon shut down and I see pubs and restaurants shut down. And that's just because, you know, they become bedroom communities and people don't like to commute. So they move closer and closer to the cities, you know, you know, globally pre COVID, there were 3 million people a week moving or being born in urban environments around the world, which means that we're as a world, as a globe, we're creating a, a, a New York or a London or a Hong Kong every three weeks, which is unsustainable from an environmental standpoint. It's unsustainable from a housing price standpoint. It's unsustainable from a congestion standpoint. It's unsustainable from a public transport standpoint. And now Ireland has the chance to show the world through a very aggressive, innovative, uh, innovative program, how you can revitalize rural Ireland, how you can bring jobs to rural Ireland, how you can help people start a business, grow a business in rural Ireland and live there, live in a place, you know, near their family and, and where they have a little bit of land and, and fresh air. So I, I think Ireland will be, I think the rest of Europe will look at Ireland with, with envy and copy uh, this type of rollout. And, and I know that, you know, journalists have their job to do and a lot of people want to talk about you know, whether or not, uh, without any context, whether or not, you know, NBI has been delayed without any context around, around COVID, you, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't ask a publican in, in my local village, you know, how his Guinness sales are this year compared to, to last year, because you know, they're going to be down because you know, COVID has affected them. So COVID has affected supply chains around the world and affected everyone's ability to deploy capital and human resources around the world and we're no different but right now we are on track to catch up the lost time and make it up and then accelerate on top of that assuming that the government safety officers and our own safety officers and uh, uh, the department in air and the supply chain uh, are all able to go along with it which i think they will we'll be able to make up the lost time and accelerate. And that's the run rate that we're at right now, Jess. Well, that is good to hear. Um, I was wondering, in terms of the rollout, we know that um, part of this was to connect sort of community hubs to give people a place to go to. I'm wondering, in the context of COVID, has there been any discussion around ditching that stage and just focusing on homes? Or is the community hub still seen as a vital hit to get done early in the process? That's a great question. You know, we have 325 broadband connection points have been installed, um, 211 uh, public ones and 114 schools. We've agreed with the government to roll out 679 primary schools by the end of next year, which is an increase and in acceleration over the original plan because they are popular. It, none of us knew how popular they, they would be. None of us knew whether or not they would be they'd be used, but it's turned out that they are popular, they are used. So we are gonna roll out uh, 679 primary schools by the end of, of, of next year, which, which is, a, we've agreed to do that and that's an acceleration. And, um, you, you know, I'll, I, I, I'll be up, as I said, um, Vodafone has been a great partner in rolling out these public uh, connection points. So I'll be up up um, in in the north area of the republic on on Friday, um, 
you know, uh, launching cutting the ribbon on the 200th uh, public uh, connection point that's that's been fired up. So it is that they are popular, Jess. People people uh, like them, and it shows this project when you, when you think about. Um, how helpful air has been and how helpful the local authorities have been and how helpful Vodafone has been in the local connection points. The whole industry has come together to make this project a reality. And, you know, not to go back to, to COVID, but think about, think about the local authority for a minute. So d- during COVID, the way it works in, in real life, Jess, is you, you, you know, you, you, you do your design, you do your survey first, then you do your design and then you start building it and you get to maybe the corner of two lanes and, and uh, you, you know, might be in County Clare or, or somewhere else in rural Island. And you figure you need to put a pole on the corner of two lanes And the safety officer for the local authority says, you know, we've had five accidents over the last you know, number of years on this corner because it's a very dangerous corner. And we don't want a pole there because it will it'll obstruct the view of the drivers even more. So in real life, you know, pre-COVID, what you'd do is you'd say, okay, let's meet out there and you grab a cup of tea and you get in your van and you drive out there and you meet the safety officer and you look at it and he says, how about we, he or she says, how about we move it three meters this way or two meters that way? And you take a can of spray paint out of your van and you make a mark where you're going to move it and everybody's happy. Well, that happens every day, but you can't do that in COVID. If, if people aren't able to meet, now now they are. Now it's opening up, but for months and months, people weren't able to meet. So you were, ha- you were trying to do that over Zoom. And that was very, very difficult. And, and the local authorities have been very accommodating in trying to figure out how to navigate that through Zoom uh, a- as the tree trimming contractors have been, as the, the pole installation uh, people and, and air cleaning out the ducks so we can use, uh, use them. So everyone has come together to make this project a success and they've all really been uh, selfless in, in coming together to see it be successful. And I'll, I'll repeat, it will be successful. It will be done under budget and it will be done ahead of schedule. My final question for you, David, is this was always going to be a mammoth undertaking from the first time we were talking about a national broadband rollout in this country, God knows how many years ago now, it was always understood that this was a mammoth project. When you throw COVID into the mix, when you throw all of the different variables that we've just discussed over the last 20 minutes or so, do you have any regrets taking it on? No, no, I am very proud of this project. I'm, 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 I'm proud of of um, as you know, my mom's family is from Galway, and I and I live in in Clare, and I'm I'm very very proud of this project. And you know, when the when the newspapers used to say, you know, last man standing, I, I used to say, no, no, I, I'm the last man willing to stand. So we 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 believed in this project from the beginning. We believed we could do this project. Um, we believed that we could deliver it. It is a mammoth undertaking. We're putting enough fiber to go around the world four times, which gives you some idea of how rural rural Island really is. And there's thousands of, of you know, different components and subcomponents that we have to buy and install. But it's, um, it's going to be 
transformative to rural Ireland when it's done and I'm very proud to be part of it. That was David McCourt of National Broadband Ireland. I would love to hear from you if you are in the intervention area where in the country are you? Do you have a projection of when fibre will be in your area? But also what impact is your current connection or lack of connection having on your work life, your personal life um, like we've become so reliant on it now it is really important that we, we are as connected as possible uh, so email techtalk at newstalk.com with your story coming up next here on Newstalk Amy Connolly the entrepreneur behind Sculpted joins me to talk about building her brand and the power of online Tech Talk, Tech Talk. on Newstalk thanks to Think from digital signage to audiovisual solutions, we've thought of everything. Visit thinkpm.ie. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. On Wednesday of this week, Coca-Cola HBC launched its Youth Empowered Programme, which looks to help students develop their life and business skills as they transition into work. The webinar had a fantastic lineup of speakers, including my next guest, Amy Connolly, who is the woman behind Sculpted by Amy. This is a makeup brand that is going from strength to strength, so much so that Amy's actually been shortlisted as a finalist for the 2021 EY Entrepreneur of the Year Awards. Uh, Amy, firstly, congratulations on all of your success to date. Can you just give us a bit of an insight around, you know, taking that leap of having an idea on a post-it note and turning it into what is now an incredibly successful business? So firstly, thank you, because I don't think you ever sit on this side thinking, yeah, no, it's all a huge success because you're always on to the next thing. Um, so it's really lovely to get feedback like that. But I suppose my journey was great in the sense that I was actually working part time in makeup for about six years before I went into it full time and actually merged into the brand. And then during that time, I completed my school studies and then also completed a degree in commerce and French. So I had spent four years in day to day lectures thinking about business and kind of developing that mindset. So for me, it was really a natural progression to try and mix business with makeup because I had such a huge passion for makeup at that stage. But I wanted to go to the next level. And that was the natural progression to actually developing a brand instead of just staying doing the usual jobs that I was doing and loved. But I wanted another challenge. Um, in terms of the point of how to just get up and go for it, like I really think that the thing that was best on my side is that I was a very naive 22 year old who I wouldn't say was like brimming with confidence, but I was just like, it'll be grand. I'm just going to go for it. And off I go. And I didn't look back, nor did I think too far ahead to psych myself out. Yeah, I think that is the actual give it a go tends to go away as we get a bit older. And maybe if you were to start today, your approach or your hesitancy would be entirely different to the 22 year old you. Completely. I always joke, um, even though I'm actually not joking, I'm being deadly serious. If I was to know all that was ahead of me or if I was to think about it now, you're far more aware of people around you. Whereas I was just like fresh out of college. I'm going to back myself. I'm going to go for it. I've worked part time to kind of fund and invest in myself and it's going to be fine. Whereas now even the world has developed so much, both in the beauty industry, from an online perspective, that I'd be way overthinking what someone else is doing or how I'm going to fit in that I probably wouldn't have gone for it the same way I did. Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned the online aspect because we have some fantastic Irish uh, beauty brands that have been built from the ground up. So whether that is, you know, makeup product, um, hair product, hair brushes, there are so many brilliant businesses out there that have been built from the ground up. But you being the 22-year-old you, uh, 22 you, 
you had that technological knowledge and sort of the digital native thing on your side. Was that a benefit when you went about setting up your own brand and brand awareness and, you know, showcasing what makes you different to some of the others that are out there? Definitely. I think anyone living in our world, in our space, would be lying if they didn't say that social media played a huge part in their role, both in educating customers, communicating, marketing. It's like direct one to one that honestly, I don't see how our business would survive if we didn't have it. So even prior to Sculpted and founding the brand, I had a Facebook page and this is before Facebook pages were like the done thing. So I used to see huge reach with it in terms of like my local community and developing my own kind of freelance um, clients for people who were going to special occasions and stuff. So that was the first time that I really saw the relevance and the importance in social media as a platform. This is pre-Instagram, by the way, that's how far back we're going. Um, And I always say that when I started Sculpted, Yes, I was on Instagram, but it wasn't a present to the point that I was like, oh, Grant, I'm just going to sit back now because Instagram is going to sell it at all. Like I knew I was in the back end business and had to work hard, but I was really excited by that. So my Instagram platform has kind of grown simultaneously with the brand, which is really nice because people see that, you know, I'm wholeheartedly in it from the bottom up. And, you know, it's kind of grown with me as a person over that over my 20s as well. Has it been a challenge to ensure that, um all of the products get equal time on social media that they are explained but also that you like where does amy the person and sculpted by amy like what is that uh, relationship between the person and the brand and how much of yourself do you have to give when showcasing new products or demos that sort of thing so i think that's a constant battle do you know, like we obviously have the Sculpted by Amy Instagram page, which is run by myself and the team. And that's very brand orientated. So you'd go there and expect to see brand, brand, brand. Whereas on my side, it's obviously my life. So yes, Sculpted is my entire life. So I'm sharing a lot of insight to it. But also I'm a person and I'm busy and tired from work. So I do have that kind of mental battle sometimes of, oh, I should really go online now to update people. So I'm not really boring, but actually I'm wrecked because it's been a mental week or a stressful week. Um, In terms of, I suppose, my level of detail in the education around products, naturally some products are going to absolutely soar and be bestsellers, which has been so interesting for us to watch. But as the team has grown, I've definitely been able to loosen my reign on the sculpted page and really focus on my own and naturally bring people through the journey of what I'm doing day to day, which I think people find very interesting. Mm -hmm. I actually shared a behind the scenes video of a product launch. We had a recent one called Tint and Glow from concept to market. Just little snippets of the steps along the way, which absolutely blew up, um, which was so interesting because for us, we take it for granted. Whereas I think when you're watching it from a consumer's perspective, you're like, wow, actually loads goes into it more than I realized. Yeah, that is quite nice. And the Tint and Glow products uh, that you mentioned there, you know, when we're talking about social media and so on, like I am useless when it comes to makeup, right? I am absolutely horrific. Like you can, we're doing this via Zoom call for, for those of you listening at home and I look like I've been dragged through a hedge backwards. But everybody... Oh, no, I do. But everybody on Instagram seemed to be talking about the Tint and Glow product. And it was a really nice um thing to see in that it wasn't just about the product. People were also happy to be supporting you. And I think that is something that's the nice side of social media in particular that we don't often talk about and celebrate is that sense of community. And even if we've never met, if I follow you and I followed your success story, me buying one of your products it is a nice little hat tip to the person but also to the brand and then I get something from it as well 
Is that something that you really seem to sense? percent I think we constantly say how lucky we are with our community online both from a customer point of view and also from a friends online like in like influencers or press mm-hmm. etc and um, I think particularly in the last year and a half people have been so backing Irish and we can completely feel that momentum and like you said when people were sharing tint and glow yes obviously the product has to stand up to itself which thankfully touch what it did but also it's that loveliness towards myself and the brand which honestly is and it sounds really cliche it's so humbling it's something that you can't replicate in other places and we're very aware that as we enter new markets we're not going to have that lovely niceness that we have in Ireland and you know it's going to take a little bit more grit to kind of break through which is fine too but it's it's definitely something I'm super grateful for from an Irish perspective. As an entrepreneur um, and as someone who's I feel like just on the cusp of the wave of that that, that the business is going to go through in the coming years have how have you found the your business acumen and how have you found going into rooms you know whether you're making a pitch whether you're at an event whatever it is have you felt fully prepared for the different scenarios that you a young female entrepreneur in charge of a massively successful business have been put in I definitely feel sometimes like imposter syndrome. And I think that's just a normal, you know, your Irish heritage, it's always going to be in you somewhere. And in a way, it's probably nice because you don't take yourself too seriously either. Um, But I think, though, that I'm really confident in, I suppose, what the brand is about and what we create and why we create it. And I've had kind of four and a half years of building it slowly and steadily and expanding on the team and walking into meetings where now it's great it's kind of flipped on its head that Sculpted actually is a performer with people so you have a little bit more power and authority I suppose when you are in these discussions but I think I think when you are very confident in what you're doing that lacks more in terms of that sense of oh god I'm really nervous going in here so I feel more imposter syndrome around like say events or competitions with other businesses because I might look up to them as a business and then I might feel oh Jesus what am I doing here like I'm just you know whatever um so I think it kind of comes in waves and depends on what you're doing and as we are you know talking about this this event that you are part of and we're trying to empower people to embrace that sense of entrepreneurship is there advice that you would give to somebody contemplating starting now that you wish somebody had told you when you were on the cusp of, of, you know, kicking all this off? I think for me, I always come back to the biggest thing that I've learned and I've definitely gotten better at managing it throughout the, the years that we've been growing. And obviously there's far more challenges to come is issues will always arise. So failures and issues will always come, be it something small or large, but it's actually all in how you react to it. So at the beginning, I'm very much someone, and this is like fed through me since my school years, like I would set massive expectations on myself. Mm. Nothing to do with anyone else. It's just my own goals. And if I don't achieve them, I'm so, so hard on myself. So I know that comes part and parcel with driving and having ambition as an entrepreneur, but sometimes it's a little bit unhealthy because you're not giving yourself a break. So at the beginning, when things might have gone wrong or not as planned, I would be so devastated about it. Whereas actually, it's all fine. And to be honest, I feel like you're constantly firefighting in this role anyway. So it's just a matter of how big the fire is and and how much stress it's going to take. So yeah, I think how you react to problems is a massive, massive thing that I've learned. And I wish I told myself earlier on. That is a good piece of advice. Um, As you look towards the future with the brand, obviously retail, uh, traditional retail has gone through the ringer over the last 15 months or so. With stores not being open, there's been a massive push online as you look to the next iteration of your products and the next generation of your products, 
are you focused on traditional retail versus the online space? And how are you like planning your strategies to get uh, your products into the hands and onto the faces of customers? So we've always been an omni-channel brand. So we would sell via online on our own website and other retailers or e-tailers and then also in stores. Um, I definitely don't see that changing. I think we're going to continue with omni-channel. What I will say is we've definitely noticed how amazing online can be to facilitate an international launch. So into a new market, you know, there's less investment in areas such as like how you appear in stores and those massive expenditures that you can have. So there's a little bit of both, but I do think the traditional retail is not dead. I think it went through the ringer, like you said, but I think people really appreciate having that one-to-one FaceTime in stores with people. Like we can definitely see the increase in terms of people coming in to get shade matched with foundations that they find really difficult online and maybe they just didn't want to go there. So I think it'll change in different ways that we might not go the full extent that we would have maybe three years ago. And maybe we might be a little bit more selective. We might change up how our offerings are in store and make it a little bit more experiential and obviously when COVID is fully behind us and we can actually shout about numbers in stores. But I do think that Omnichannel will always be a part of, of our approach, both domestic and internationally. That was Amy Connolly, the founder of Sculpted by Amy. Coming up next here on News Talk, Kira O'Brien will talk us through all we need to know about Windows 11. Tech Talk. Tech Talk. On News Talk. Thanks to Think. From digital signage to audiovisual solutions, we've thought of everything. Visit thinkpm.ie. Techtalk at newstalk.com is the email address as ever if you want to get in touch or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Yet another busy week in the world of tech. This time uh, we got a preview of Windows 11, which is quite exciting because it is the operating system that you see pretty much everywhere. So regardless of who you are and what you do, chances are in the near future, you will be engaging with Windows 11. Uh, Kira O'Brien from the Irish Times joins me once again to talk through the key features. Um, Kira, like, how often do we get new versions of Windows and how big a deal is this? Well, the last one we got was Windows 10. That was 2015. So, you know, you, you, we don't get them that often, but, yeah, I mean, we got Windows 10 fairly rapidly after Windows 8 because that was a bit of a bomb. And then before that, it was, I think it was, it was 2009 before we had another version of Windows. So, you know, it's every few years. It's not like a yearly thing. We They generally run for about 10 years. They're supported for about 10 years and then they move on to the next one. So Windows 10 support will end in 2025, which means you won't get security updates. Super important, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from our next, I think it's from October, they're saying that we will be able to download Windows 11. Um, and the, the kind of the feeling about Windows 11 so far is that it's not like a big shock, not in the way that Windows 8 was, because that was a massive shock. I'll come back to that in a second. But Windows 8 was a massive shock. Windows 10 kind of, I suppose it, 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 it soothed over a lot of people's ruffled feathers over Windows 8 because it just it, it didn't sit well with people. And it was a much more familiar operating system, but it still did what Microsoft wanted to do and it moved things forward a bit. Now, Windows 11 kind of builds on that. So you're not going to see like a massive difference in that, you know, it's not going to be a complete nuclear wipeout of, of Windows 10 and then start fresh with Windows 11. It's kind of building on the successes. So I mean, if you looked at Windows 8, I mean, Windows 8 committed, I suppose, the cardinal sin of getting rid of the start menu and people did not like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't like that, not going to lie. I mean, it, it was kind of, oh, that's interesting. But also it was really 
tough for people to use because when they brought in Windows 8, it was the idea that this was going to be their touch-focused um, operating system. The problem was, though, that not all computers had a touch screen at the time. They're much more common now, obviously, in practically every computer you get, you know, you get with a touch screen. But at the time, you know, the idea of a, of a touch focused uh, operating system on just using it with a regular keyboard and mouse, it was it was horrific. So they quickly had to put out Windows 8.1 to try and, and sort some of that out. And they brought back the start menu. And then Windows 10 was just a much easier uh, and much easier thing to use. So Windows 11, they are actually changing the start menu. Uh, but not in the same way that they did with, with Windows 8. So they're not getting rid of it. They're just moving it slightly. So at the moment, now I'm looking at my Windows 10 desktop here and I've got the start button down in the bottom left corner. So for Windows 11, that's going to move to the center. And they're also getting rid of the live tiles. Now, that's not a big loss. So mm -hmm. for, for most people, they don't use live tiles anyway. I mean, I actually can't remember the last time I even looked at a live tile and thought, oh, that's interesting. You know, it's it's one of those things that people there people don't notice it they're not really going to miss it i would imagine um but you know that they that this will it'll look much more like a launcher so you're going to have the things that you need so your documents your your most used apps and a search bar that's what's going to be in that that start menu now the biggest thing that windows 11 changes is that android apps will now run on windows 11 and that's huge yeah, this is really interesting because when I looked at the the bits and pieces that, that are out there about Windows 11, it struck me as uh, not as dramatic, as you say, as Windows 8, but a definite shift to bring more of the mobile uh, usability of an operating system onto a PC or a laptop. And I think it's a very smart move on their part, particularly when Apple are bringing the iMac back and trying to, you know, make that a little bit more fun, a bit more eye-catching. I think having that Android capability on Windows is going to be a massive draw for a lot of people. Well, when you think about the amount of Android devices that are out there, there's billions of them. So, mm -hmm. yes, I think that is it's a, it's a smart move. Look, Microsoft has been trying to integrate the mobile and the desktop experience for a while. You know, we've had the kind of the, the move for universal apps. They tried their own mobile operating system that didn't work. So, you know, I think maybe bringing in the Android apps will help and you know it's not just apple and, and microsoft that have been trying to kind of blur the lines between desktop and mobile i mean you saw with samsung as well a lot of their things the whole point is that you know people don't just work off one device anymore they don't work mm -hmm. off a desktop or a laptop or a mobile or a tablet they work off several i mean i obviously i i know you would be the same as me in that you know you have multiple devices so being able to access things across those devices that's a huge thing and it makes everything that bit simpler yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. I think it's the surprising thing is actually that it's taken this long for them to do it. That's that would be my overarching thought. So I'm thinking now about, you know, the other ways that we interact with the operating system. Are there going to be anything, any other um, tweaks or quirks to it aside from the moving of the start, the start button from the left to the center? Well, actually, one thing that I did notice, and it's going to be very handy for a lot of people, is that they're going to bring in, say, like a universal microphone mute button. So I don't know about you, but the number of different apps I use that have microphones, say for Teams, Zoom, all that stuff, that is now going to go into, it's basically going to be a universal control for that. You hit that button and it mutes all of them straight away. Um, they are also, um, they're going to make the updates a lot easier. Uh, this is my personal bugbear I absolutely hate you know when you're, you're usually when you're doing something really really important and they decide that this is the time that they're going to install that critical update that's going to take 10 minutes and keep turning your computer on and mm -hmm. off and it's usually when I have to file something and I'm on a deadline um it basically what, what they'll do now is they're going to make those updates 
a lot smaller. So about 40% smaller, they will run in the background. So it's kind of going to be a bit more, I think, like probably like a Chromebook where you don't really notice them happening, um, which I think is going to be, you know, that's going to be amazing. Um, they are going to make some changes to the user interface. So a little while ago, there was a project and that was supposed to be for, you know, the dual screen devices that were, were coming out and it was Windows 10X and that was actually shelved, but they've taken a lot of what was in that Windows 10X and, and brought it into Windows 11. Uh, so, you know, there's little tweaks. Um, so as I said, they're getting rid of the live tiles. They're also going to have snap layouts, which will snap windows into, remember if you have like five different windows open and you use, say you work across multiple monitors. Yeah. Uh, so you have two screens side by side. You like to work in certain programs on one screen and keep everything else on your main screen. It will remember that. So you won't have to set it up every time because that's usually what happens now at the moment is you have to kind of set things up and make sure that your, your desktop is laid out the way you want it to be laid out. Uh, every time you open it up, or at least I do, maybe I'm doing something wrong. They're also going to bring in widgets. Um, there's a certain amount of widgets in Windows 10, but they're make, they're kind of developing this even further. Uh, so you'll be able to swipe in and you'll have widgets for news and you know all that kind of thing. So it, basically all your updates will be there. And that's kind of a bit like um, the, uh, the iPad in yes. uh, uh, oh, pad os I'm, I'm i'm blanking on names at the moment but pad os you know so they've they basically got that uh that, that kind of little useful window so you swipe in you can see it you can get all your updates in one place i like the widget thing and you know it's funny i definitely thought of the ipad when i saw the widget so for those who don't know on the ipad when you have it in a certain orientation on the left hand side you can see certain things that you pin and, and things that you use so whether that is your calendar the weather reminders any of the apps basically you can kind of create widgets for but it also did remind me a little bit of windows 8 you know that kind of swipey in function so it seems like while windows 8 was absolutely a flop I think they are building upon Windows 10, as you said, but then looking for those more mobile touch focused, um, I suppose, layers that they can add into Windows 11. And I have to say, I really like the look of it so far. Yeah. And I think look, if, if it's really going to go between you and your sleep, that the, the, the start menu is now in the middle, I think you can move it back as well. And I think that's something that Microsoft <laughs> learned from um from windows 8 that you know people like sometimes people like the classic look and i mean i'm gonna be honest the first thing i did with pretty much every other version of windows was change back to kind of the classic layout so again it, that would be the reason why the, the idea that live tiles are now going to go is not really going to bother me too much uh, you are going to see more modern icons as well though like they're giving uh they're, they're updating some of the icons that may you know kind of uh, may, may disturb some people but it, again it's not the um it's not the end of the world file explorer it seems to have got some tweaks as well. I mean, look, we'll see what eventually makes it into the final version because sometimes they try out these things and they never see the light of day. Um, there is also a tablet, that kind of tablet mode, the idea of having a separate tablet mode and a separate desktop mode. It's more subtle now. There's kind of like a full screen thing instead of it asking you every time, do you want to change the tablet mode? And there being a, a, a very obvious change in your screen when you say if, if you detach a keyboard if you have like a, a two and one um teams is, is is going to be integrated into the windows uh consumer version which kind of leaves skype a little bit up in the air mm -hmm. and i'd say that's also going to irritate um some of microsoft's rivals because obviously there is a bit of a tussle there between uh teams and slack so 
it's uh, I mean look in general then like you're just talking about small things like you know the, the transparency of it um, they're kind of rounding out all the sharp edges in the user interface it's basically just a cleaner look um, but a lot of it is going to be familiar if you're a Windows 10 user this is not going to be a massive shock so Kira, just uh, finally then you mentioned um, it's October that people can start downloading this yeah, that's the expectation. Uh, it's going out to app developers uh, fairly rapidly, so they'll be able to get working on making all their software compatible if they need to, uh, and kind of working out any any issues that they may have. We should start to see it around October. If you have a Windows 10 device, you should be able to upgrade to Windows 11. Um, but obviously, there are certain there are certain kind of requirements. I mean, you have to have a minimum, I think it's four gigs of RAM and 64 gigs of space. Obviously that's the minimum. So, you know, any more than that obviously means it will run better. Uh, there are some chips I think that may be problematic or not officially supported anyway, but in basically on the whole, most people who can run Windows 10 now should be able to run Windows 11, which is, you know, that's a good thing because there was a big change with some of the operating systems. There was a big jump in, in requirements and what you actually needed to run it. So a lot of people couldn't upgrade their old systems to a Windows 10, for example. Um, but you should be able to with Windows 11. Uh, but it's always worth checking out because obviously, you know, nothing is, is absolutely set in stone. Well, we will, of course, be talking about Windows 11 much more between now and when it becomes available. But for now, Kira O'Brien, technology and business reporter with the Irish Times. Thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast there too. So just hit subscribe and every single episode of Tech Talk will magically land on your device on Fridays at noon. John Friday's up next here on News Talk. I'll chat to you next week.